Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Have you ever had something that uh, you held on to that was precious to you that you wouldn't let go of, uh, but there was something better that you didn't even realize? You know, there's many things in our lives that we just hold on to, and whether it's routine or different things. And I'm a person who I don't like change. Like, so I like my routine. I like things the way I like them. And so if there's change, like, I'll still stay with the same thing. Uh, I'll stay with the old instead of go with the new, right? And I was thinking about uh, some of the things in, in my life, like, early on. What was something that I, like, held on to that was old, but I didn't realize it was something so much better that was there uh, that I didn't know of? And the first thing that I thought of was, and I don't know how many of you remember this or went there, was there was an amusement park called Americana. Now, how many people here went to Americana? I'm just curious. Okay, quite a few. Americana was like, here is like state fair, here's Americana. It's like one step above. I mean, to, as, a, as a kid, it was like the most wonderful place that I could possibly go to. It, was, it had one roller coaster, I remember it specifically, that was like, it was very rickety, and I remember that. And, but I loved going there more than anything. Um, and I probably would have gone there my whole life if I didn't know that my parents would introduce me to King's Island. Now, King's Island came, came along, and actually, me and King's Island are the same age. We were both born in 72, 1972. We both turned 50 this year. And um, I remember going to King's Island, all of a sudden, my world just opened up. Like, I didn't realize, I didn't realize how small Americana was until I went to the, the glory of King's Island and all these roller coasters. It was like an amazing experience, right? But I didn't know that when I was at Americana. I was thinking about foods and restaurants that I went to and then I ate. And one of my favorite places to go, oh, I'd love to go here, was Ponderosa. And I don't know if you remember Ponderosa. This was like the steakhouse. I mean, like you would go there and like the steak was delicious. And I remember like what, I remember waiting in the line. I remember the smell of the place. I remember everything. And then getting up there and you go through the line with your tray and then you go through, you make your order. And then all of a sudden this the steak comes and like steak, but it's like super small. It's not real, you know, it's like, it's good. It's got the grill marks on it and it was good. And I loved it, but not until I had like years later, like real steak. Like if you could think of like the best steak that you've ever had and then Ponderosa and that great steak, like Jay Alexander's, Ruth Chris, those kind of steaks. Like you didn't know, I didn't know how great it was. Well, I asked my, I asked my kids, I'm like, was there something like in your childhood that you had that you didn't realize was something so much better that was coming? And one of the things that they grew up on was the Italian cuisine of Chef Boyardee. They loved Chef Boyardee like it was the best meal ever. And they would ask for it. And to this day, actually, Eli, our youngest, still eats SpaghettiOs like straight out of the can. Like he doesn't even heat it up. He just eats it right out of the can and loves it. Well, when Desiree and I got married, um, all of a sudden, Chef Boyardee, this was the Italian meal that they loved, and now Desiree isn't a true Italian. Like, her cooking is amazing. Like, she can make meatballs and stuffed shells and all these things. And then the kids, guess what they wanted? Chef Boyardee. They're like, nah, we want Chef Boyardee. And we're like, I'm like, what? This is like, open your eyes. This is Italian food here. And uh, so they didn't realize what a wonderful thing that is. Now, I want you to think about this. When I was, uh, during uh, Desiree and I's story, there was three years that we were dating. She was uh, in New York, and I was here. And during this time, uh, there was ups and downs, and we wanted to get married so bad. Um, and as, at, during that time, like, if you can imagine, like, I had a picture of her and me, and I loved that picture. Like, I would look at it, and I would hope that one day that we could get married. I treasure that picture. It was special to me, right? Now imagine we get married. And after we get married, I'm looking at this picture. And I just love this picture. More than anything, I love this picture. And I got a wife right here saying, I'm right here. And I have a beautiful wife, but I'm still staring at this picture like it's the greatest thing. That's absurd, isn't it? 
Well, I want you to think about that in context to the Hebrews and what they were doing. They had this picture, the tabernacle, of what was to come. They were staring at this picture when Jesus was there, when Jesus, when, when he was the true great high priest, and they were still looking at the picture. And that's what we see here as we go into Hebrews and as we break this down. The old covenant and the new covenant, right? The old covenant was a picture, a picture of what was to come, was a picture of Jesus. The new covenant is Jesus. And the Hebrews were still looking at the old picture. Now, we see the author today compares the old covenant and the new covenant and why the new covenant is so much better. And really, that's what we're going to get into today. So if you're here today and you haven't been with us as we've gone through Hebrews, I just want to do a little review. Now, as we teach uh, expositionally through a book, it really helps us to grow in our knowledge together, right? As we grow through it, And we teach verse by verse. It helps put it in context so we understand. And as we've been going through Hebrews, we realize this same theme of the great high priest has come up over and over and over. And the author is really trying to uh, beat this home. He's really trying to make a point here because he wants them to understand who Jesus is. So just a couple of things about Hebrews. We do not know who the author is. God has chosen to Keep that a mystery from us. We could guess it's Paul, Barnabas, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter because we focus on who Jesus is. Um, we don't know who the book was specifically written to. It wasn't re- written to like a church, but a, a people group, the Hebrews. Now, the thing about the, the Hebrews that he's writing to, these were early Jewish Christians who were fail- falling back into rituals and practices. Now, specifically today, we are talking about those rituals and practices and how they need to turn from that and understand who Jesus really is. Um, So the author ties in like Old Testament scripture and brings it in uh, throughout Hebrews. Why? Because he wants to make the point. He wants them to understand. This is what they know, Old Testament scripture, and now I want you to see and understand who Jesus is. So we've seen how Jesus is more superior than angels more superior than Moses, more superior now than rituals and religion. Jesus is the great high priest. Now, the author is repeating this theme because it is so important to how they view Jesus. And we can understand and learn from that to see how we view Jesus in the process. So last week, the big idea was a new and greater priesthood requires a new and greater covenant. Now, his focus on the new and greater covenant um, is he's talking about how important it is. But in this, the author takes a break here and kind of goes back and says, well, the old tabernacle and all this is going on, was it useless? Like, and he's saying no. So he goes through this and explains the glories of it, why it was good. These are the things that you know. This is why it was important. But then he takes that and says, but this is even more important. All right, so what is our big idea today? Our big idea is this. Glories of the old tabernacle, so glories, the wonderful good things about the old tabernacle, point to the greater glory. It points to Jesus, points to the greater glory. Was the old tabernacle worthless and without purpose? No. It had a beautiful purpose, and he goes into this. But then he compares it to the new tabernacle, Jesus So let's see when we go through here what those glories were. What was so special about the tabernacle and the rituals and the sacrifices? Because we look at that and it's like, well, that's kind of weird. I'm not used to stuff like that. That doesn't seem right to me. So if we can dive in and help understand where they were and what they were doing and why God instructed them to do it, we can have a better understanding today. So let's start in uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship, And an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. So, to help us understand that a little bit, so this is an introduction to what he is talking about. So, the first covenant, right? What is that? The Mosaic covenant. That is the covenant that God made with his people through Moses at Mount Sinai. So he says, regulations of worship. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship. So what are these regulations of worship that he's talking about? It's 
the design, the contents, the customs, this whole idea of the tabernacle is what he is referring to. It's this earthly place of holiness. That's what he says right there. That is the tabernacle. We have the heavenly place of holiness and we have the earthly place where God came down to be with his people. So if you look in the Old Testament, if you ever do a study on tabernacle, there's tons to go through. We could do weeks and weeks and weeks and months on the tabernacle. Why? Because there's like 50 chapters that talk about the tabernacle, the details, how it was created, the importance of it, what they did, all of that. So today as we go through this, I'm going to give you a high level and kind of talk about the specific things that he mentions in here so you can better understand. So there is an outer courtyard that we're looking at, and I've included with your, uh, with your handout today uh, uh, something that you can keep with you, put in your Bible, that kind of lays out what the uh, tabernacle looks like. And it's got information on there that you can hang on to. So that's 150 foot long, and it is 75 foot wide. Now that's including the outer court. If you think about it, it is one-third of a football field. To get it in your mind about what that looks like. Um, the tabernacle, the actual tent in the middle, is 45 foot by 15 foot. And as you go into that, that is divided into two rooms. That is the holy place and then the holy of holies all the way in the back. So the first room is 30 by 15, and then the holy of holies is 15 by 15. Very specific on how it is made, the size, and everything. So looking at the structure, what can we understand? So the first thing, the sanctuary points to the greater glory. The sanctuary points to the greater glory. The structure and how it was put together and, and how it was built, all of this points to the greater glory. Exodus 25, 8 and 9 says, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Now, I want you to look at that passage right there in Exodus and realize what? That God is saying, it's, first of all, it's so important. Why? Because that's where God is going to dwell in their midst. That's where he's going to meet them. But then in verse 9, it says, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. This wasn't like, oh, just go set up a tent somewhere and it doesn't matter what it looks. No, he was like, exactly how I'm telling you, this is what you're going to do. That is in the Old Testament, all of these details that they had laid out and what it looks like. The whole structure points to the greater glory. Now, as I, I had the opportunity to go to camp uh, with the uh, high school, junior high and high school, this past, uh, about a month ago, and they had a thing there that they were trying out with the leaders. And it, was, it was like the coolest thing that I had, one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. It was a VR headset. And they were introducing these to the students, but they, somebody had donated this to the camp, but they were saying, we want the leaders to try it out first. And basically, it was a VR headset, and then what you would do is you would walk into the tabernacle. So in virtual reality, you would walk in, and as you would look, you would see all the different things, and then you could like click on them, click on them, and it would say, oh, this is what this is, and it would tell you about it. And then not only the tabernacle, but also the temple that you could go there, which the temple is the tabernacle that was permanent, that was made later that we see in Scripture. Um, and it was an amazing thing. As I watched that, I thought, what an amazing thing to be able to kind of walk through to understand what it looks like. So I, I have this video I want you to watch. It's about a minute and 30 seconds long. It's a, it's a kind of a walkthrough of the tabernacle. So you can get an idea. As we talk about it, you can visualize kind of what it looks like and get a better idea. Now, to understand, it zooms in here, and you see the tabernacle in the middle of all these tents, right? So that's the 12 tribes that are around it. All those all those tents are facing the tabernacle. And as you go through, it takes you through the curtain um, as, as you go through the gate and enter, all right? And then it'll show what's in the outer courtyard, and then it'll go into uh, the tabernacle, and then finally into the Holy of Holies to give you an idea of what it looks like. So let's take a look at that video together.
Now, as you look at that, hopefully that gives you an idea of kind of what it was like. And I watched a couple different videos, and some are, you know, they're different on, like, the colors of different things. But to understand, like, the structure, and as you go through that, hopefully that gives you a good idea. And I don't know, like, even as I go into that, and I'm curious when Raleigh mentioned this, this place that we're going to, like, even when it's going into the Holy of Holies, like, there's a part of me that's like, ah, uh, like, I don't, I don't want to go in there, you know, because of the, the holiness surrounding it. And even watching the video, I kind of felt like that. But um, seeing that helps you understand really what we're going to be talking about and what we're going to be laying out. Um, so as we go into uh, the area here, first it was the east gate. That was a curtain that was opened. And this is a beautiful entrance with a, a colorful curtain. And I want you to see how each one of these things that I go through always points to the greater glory. And I'll make that connection. It points to Jesus. Each one of these things that I'm mentioning, and I'll show you. So the first thing is the east gate as you go through. Now, there is only one way into this, uh, into this uh, outer court, right, that leads to the tabernacle. And right there, we see just from the entrance, we see already we get something that points to Jesus. Uh, in John 10, 39, Jesus says what? He is the gate. And as you realize this, I hope the light bulbs start going off in your head. You're like, oh, Jesus said this, Jesus said this, Jesus said this, Jesus said this. And all of these things, he was telling them so they would realize from the tabernacle and the, what they knew about their traditions. So Jesus says he is the gate. Now when you go in, there's a bronze altar. That was the big square thing. And that is where sacrifices are made. And uh, uh, this is where you place and burn animal sacrifices. Now, this points to Jesus. Why? Because we know of the, the cross, which um, Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. So we see that and how it points to Jesus. Now, enter further in, we see a bronze basin, the, the lavir. Um, now, this is a, if you saw it, it was like a dish up high and it had water in it. Now, this is where the priests would go. Now, at this point, past where they make the sacrifices, only priests can go back here. Past that point. So this was a basin where they would actually wash because if they were dirty, they would have to be cleansed before they went into the holy place. Um, now, if you know, what does Jesus refer to? Jesus is the living water, right, who cleanses us from sin. Um, as you go into the holy place then, as you go in, we see in that room there's two different, uh, well, there's three different things. So there's the lampstand. Um, which is seven burning lights with olive oil. Now, this burns continuously. Now, this is the only light that lights that room. So how does that connect to what Jesus uh, said about himself? Jesus says he is what? The light. He is the light. We see also the table of showbread uh, to the right as you were going in. And this was a table set up, and there was two stacks 12 pieces of bread, 6 and 6, represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this bread only the priests could eat. Um, but once again, Jesus says what? He is the bread of life. John six thirty three. You see, all of these things that he said that when he referred to himself was for a reason and for a purpose that he was setting up so that they could understand. So Jesus is the bread of life. Now, the curtain that goes into the Holy of Holies was the veil. Now, this was the separation. Um, now, only, and only one person can go in. The high priest, once a year, would go in to that place. And it shows the separation from God. Now, this veil is the veil that if we talk about, you know, when Jesus was crucified, there was a veil, what, that was torn from top to bottom. Why was it torn top to bottom? Because... Jesus, when it was finished, right, when he had done what he was obediently came to do, uh, the curtain was torn. Why? So access could be ha had to the Holy of Holies, right, to God. He was the reason that we can now have access to God. All of the tabernacle, and we could go into detail about each one of these things in the tabernacle, and I encourage you to study it and see more deeply what these things were and how they used them. It is very interesting. Um, but all of them point to a greater glory. It's a beautiful structure with a beautiful purpose. It points to Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. All right, let's go on to verses 4 and 5. So verses 4 and 5. 
having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we can now we cannot now speak in detail. So as before, as we saw with the bread and the and the lampstand, these objects, right, and furniture were instructions that God gave to them, and what? They point to Jesus. Uh, so what do we see here? Not only does the sanctuary point to greater glory, but the symbols point to the greater glory. The symbols point to the greater glory. So let's look at the significance of these symbols that we see here placed in the, in the holy, holy room. The altar of incense. Now this was uh, in the holy place before the holy of holies, before you went in. It would burn morning and night, and it was a specific mixture given by God. All right, Very detailed that they had to follow and be specific. But what does it represent? It represents prayer and it represents intercession. It represents interception, intercession. Just how Christ, what, intercedes with us. And we've talked about that. He is our intercessor. Now this incense will be taken in by the high priest. So in Leviticus 16, 12, and 13, it says this. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. And two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. You see the, the precision there that he had to do and what it looked like. And we see him continue in, in these different things that he had to do. Okay, now as we move on. So the altar of incense, and then as you go into the Holy of Holies, what do you see? The Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you're like me, right, my father in 1982 took me to see one of my favorite movies of all time, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I think, and still today, I still pick, like, you talk about the Ark of the Covenant, like, because of that, that's like, that's where my mind goes. The Ark of the Covenant is such a powerful thing. And I think the movie tries to do just on that, but obviously in that movie, there's things that are way, way, way off. I still like the movie. So taking that aside, um, when we think about the Ark of the Covenant, uh, it was the most holy item in the tabernacle. To touch it means death. Like, can you even imagine? Like, if you touched it, you would die. Like, that's, that's how holy it was. So Exodus twenty-five ten through 13. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside shall you overlay it. And you shall make, it, make, it, make on it a molding of gold around it. You see, so much gold was used in all of this to show the glory of it. Now, symbolically, it was God's throne. And I think that's what we need to remember. This is what it was. This is where God was coming to meet uh, his people. It represented his presence on earth. Now, there's other names for the ark, also called the ark of God, ark of might, ark of testimony. We see it other places in the scripture. And the holy ark. All of it is referring to the ark of the covenant. Now, inside were three things that we saw in the video and that uh, is mentioned here. So what are these three things? There's urn with manna. Each of these things represents something. So the urn with manna in it, and if you've heard about manna, it represents what? God's provision, how he took care of them in the wilderness. There's Aaron's rod. What does that, what does that represent? God's intervention, how he moved and worked and intervened. And then the tablets. Tablets went in there and they represent what? That's God's law, and they could not keep that law. So all of this was in the ark. And it was covered, the lid, covered by the mercy seat. Now on the mercy seat is a cherubim with wings uh, that covered the mercy seat, stretched out over the top. Now on the mercy seat, this is where blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat on the day of atonement. This is where the priest, high priest would go in and then he would sprinkle blood on the top of it. Um, so 
does the structure, when we look at it, and the furniture make more sense to you now? Like, as you begin to learn about this and think about it, it's like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. I'm starting to understand the structure, how it's laid out, and what the purpose is. But I want you to think about the great care and precision that went into how they made it, God's instruction on how they made it, and how they followed it. Now, in my, in my research when I was reading, one of the things that I said that the, if the, everything that they put together plus the gold, all the resources they put together would be today uh, calculated like a billion dollars. A billion dollars. Like I can't even like comprehend like how valuable that was. I guess because of the number of people and because of the value that went into it and how they pooled it together to make it and plus all of the beautiful things that went into it, there's great value there. God was very specific in this. So as we go on to our next section, sanctuary and symbols point to the greater glory. Let's look at the rituals, what they did, all right? So verses 6 and 7. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing the ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So, and all of this glorious and, and beautiful imagery, the Israelites could not go in here. So in the first room, the, the priests could go and they had daily tasks that they would do. Only once a year into the Holy of Holies that they could go. So we see the rituals and sacrifices performed by the priests. So what do we see here in the text? The next thing we can take away is the sacrifices point to the greater glory. The sacrifices point to Jesus. So ritual duties by the priests, okay? So these were the daily ones. The offering of incense, that was something that they did that they would light, all right? Trimming and lighting of the lamps. Now, these were important jobs. And actually, the, the, the priests had, it was like a weight on their shoulders. Like they knew this was a big responsibility to keep these things going and what they had to do. Um, but when we think about animal sacrifices, like we just don't, we don't have a clue like what that's actually like. Like we read about it and we talk about it, but do you really understand the weight that goes into like these, these people would raise their livestock, right, that was their own, and then they would have to sacrifice it, not only giving up something that is valuable to them, but also doing something that is kind of horrific, like when we think about what they're actually doing, because all this talk of blood, all this talk of killing, and all this talk of what is going on, this is kind of something we're like, I really don't, that's kind of weird to me. Um, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity, I heard the story, so I asked Andy, who read scripture, uh, just earlier, um, a story that he had. So he goes and they take, they show animals at the fair. So just last week or just over a week ago, they had their goat. So this is Artie, I believe. So this is Artie the goat. So before I start telling the story, I don't want you guys to think, oh no, what's going to happen here? So this is Artie the goat. And and Andy said, this is Artie to the party, I think you said, like the kids called it. So one of the things that they have to do is they have to uh, cauterize their horns or their, yes. So if they get too long, they have to clip them short, and then they have to put an iron, and they have to, like, stop the bleeding on it. So this process has to be done, and it is not an easy one from what I have heard. So what Andy does, so he had his boys. Luckily, he has all these boys. They, Isaiah was holding it, and then Josiah was holding the legs, the, the back of the, the goat, as they had to go through this process. Now, Seth and Kyle, who had gone over there, were witnessing and watching this. They decided to stay and watch this go on. So... As he did this, so first they had to clip the horns. So obviously it was a struggle with the goat, and it's making noise. And if you've ever heard a goat, like it, it like it screams like a like it sounds like a person almost. So it's like standing there, and I want you to look. See, he's he's okay. He's okay. So th- this is going on. Clip the thing, and obviously when they clip, that's when they have to cauterize because that's where the blood comes out. So once the blood, and you're going to say, why are you telling me the story? Why are you telling me the story? Some of you are all weak in the knees. The blood starts coming out. So the blood starts coming out of the horns, and he starts to struggle, and basically they turned the head, or he moved like this, and the blood went right all over them, and right in across Josiah, and like went in his mouth. So he's standing there like, ah! like, And so they're trying to, you know, and they're freaking out. So I, I give my hand to Josiah for going through that and what he had to go through. But then they finally got where the horns were shortened and then they took care of it. But it was, that's like 
even hearing that story is traumatic, you know, and like what happened and what they went through. But I want you to feel the weight of that because just talking about that blood, and I don't know if you guys are like, oh, because that's the way I am. Like anything to do with blood, like, so Kyle and Seth were there, right? And I was just talking to Kyle before the serve, and he's like, I, I was going to throw up. I like, I could even like, I didn't want to be there at all. And, um, and I would be the same way because blood is like something like makes us queasy. But I want you guys to feel the weight of like what they had to do in, in this. You know, I just found out, somebody came up to me after first service talking about um, our missionaries uh, who are overseas. And if you know them, they sent a message back to us. And one of the things that they participated in this past week, which I can't even imagine this, um, there in the country they do uh, a sacrifice. And it's all about, you know, when Isaiah... Uh, was sacrificing his son Isaac, or, and so he went up the mountain, and God provided what? A ram and, to replace him, and that was all foreshadowing Jesus also. They over there kind of misinterpret that, so they still will sacrifice uh, these rams and these goats over there. So they said that this past week, there was like trucks coming in with goats and rams coming in that they had to like uh, see and be a part. So they got to actually see that and like experience it. The thing is, it was so, so heartbreaking to them because they couldn't communicate um, to a lot of the people that were there. The translators could uh, of what they were doing. Like the purpose of what they're doing wasn't the purpose of what was intended. But they got to see that. Just to understand that that still goes on and like how shocking that is and what that looks like. So to understand the weight of that should help you to understand the weight of what they had to do and the responsibility of what they had to do. So I want you to, let's go to Leviticus. Leviticus 16, 15, and 16. It says, then he, ha- then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. Seeing here, like, specifically what he had to do. Now, just thinking about Andy's and the boy's experience. Now, thinking about what these uh, men had to do. So they had to kill a goat and they had to kill a bull. And they had to atone for the sins. Uh, first, the priest had to atone for his own sins. So he had to go in with the first blood and sprinkle it. Then he had to go in with the goat's blood. And then he had to sprinkle that for the people. And that was what he had to do. This was a great weight and responsibility. And this were only one time a year on the day of atonement, right? It's to atone for their sins of the people. This is strange, like, to us, like, to think about that, that they would do this, and this would be something that they would continue to do every single year that they would be doing. Not only the sacrifices that would go on, but then the, the sacrifice uh, on, the, on the atonement. So I hope this helps you to understand, kind of step back to see how what God put into this, his plan he put into it, and where it is pointing to, which is where we're going. So next, the author kind of points out the deficiencies. He's talking about how great it is, and he's talking about how beautiful it is, and these are the things. And then as he goes on, he kind of points out, but this isn't all. So let's kind of go on and see what he says. He's transitioning kind of to the importance of Jesus. All right? So it says, by this, the Holy Spirit, in verse 8, indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. So talking about how the, it's not open, the Israelites don't have access to God, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. We see the problems of the old tabernacle revealed by the Holy Spirit is what he's saying, to understand, to help understand why we need something greater. So what do we see here in the text? The insufficiency points to the greater glory. The insufficiency points to the greater glory. The old system kept access to God away from the Israelites. Only through the high priest. There has to be another way, right? 
Hebrews 7, 18, and 19. For on the one hand, so think about two hands. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So what is that better hope? This is what is pointing to Jesus. This is the lesson learned from the Holy Spirit that, that is revealed through this text, through the completed work of Jesus. The author wants the readers to see how the old tabernacle is insufficient because of us, right? We can't keep the law, so therefore it is inefficient. Only Jesus can open the way into the Holy of Holies and restore our relationship with God. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way. There in verse 9, it says, which is symbolic. Which, looking that up, the word that symbolic it comes from a Greek word, actually, in which we get the word parable from. So symbolic, if you think of a parable, it's a lesson or a picture of what is to come, right? That is exactly what he is saying. Everything about this is symbolic. It is a picture of who is to come. Old arrangement was not perfect. Perfection only through Jesus. It says, until the time of reformation. So what does that mean? What is the time of reformation? That is setting things right. That is the job of Jesus through his obedience. So we see these pictures point to the greater glory. So how is Jesus the greater glory? And that's what he goes on to explain here. So the explanation is Christ's function under the new covenant. So Hebrews 9.11. So verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So if you were to split this down the middle, this text, and, and look at this side and look at this side. So he talks about what? The sanctuary, right? And he talks about the sacrifices. So now he's switching, and guess what he's talking about? So how is Jesus the greater glory? Jesus is the more perfect sanctuary. He is the more perfect sanctuary. The old tabernacle is now obsolete because there is what? A perfect tent. There's a perfect tent. Mark 14, 58 says, We heard him say, talking about Jesus, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. So Jesus is talking about what? In three days what? Oh, that sounds familiar. That is about his, his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection, right? He will build the new temple. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Right there at the end, a minister in the holy places, what? In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He is the more perfect sanctuary. He is the perfect tent. The old tabernacle picture points to a perfect sanctuary, and that is Jesus. So, verse 12, what did he do? He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and the calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So this compares the old sacrifices, what? To the perfect sacrifice. So what do we see? How is Jesus the greater glory? He is not only the more perfect sanctuary, but what? He is the more perfect sacrifice. He is the more perfect sacrifice. So when we look at this, we see, we get a good comparison of how Jesus is different than the priest and what the priest has to do. Because comparing what we learned from what the priest has to do, right, he has to make, he has to kill two animals. He has to go in once for himself, and then he has to go in again to uh, atone for the sins of the people. So how is Jesus different? Well, first of all, we see that right there in the beginning of verse 12. He entered once. He entered once for all into holy places. Now, 
that doesn't just mean once like and not two sacrifices. If you see there, it also says not by means of the blood of goats and calves. You see those are plural. So it's also talking about the years. So you can imagine they had to do this for many years. So he entered once. Did not have to sacrifice for his sin. Um, he secured it with his own blood. You know, you think about that the priest had to, he went in and he sacrificed what? Two animals, right? And you think about how hard that has to be to sacrifice two animals. And we talked about the weight of that and what that looks like, the impact that that would have on you, not only like because it is your property, but also emotionally what that would be like. But then now come over here, the weight of that. Now come over here and think about what Jesus did. He stepped in instead of the blood of goats and bulls, gave his own blood. He sacrificed himself. That should amaze you. That should amaze you. When you understand how he offered himself, he willingly went to the cross. Hebrews 7:27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He did it once for all when he offered himself. He did it once. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It wasn't the blood of animals. It was his own blood. And when he stood stood and sacrificed himself. Do you see the contrast of the sacrifices? I hope that really stands out to you when you understand the weight of what Jesus did and who he did it for. He did it to be obedient to the Father in the plan that he had to do. The perfect sacrifice secured what? And then it says an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. All right, let's go on to the last two verses, 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the author is saying here, for if the blood of goats and bulls can purify, right, We've seen that. How much more can Jesus, will the blood of Christ, purify our conscience? Because he was spotless. So what do we see here? How is Jesus the greater glory? Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient. He was the perfect sacrifice. Animal's blood was to serve as an atonement, but then God gave his own blood. Do you think about that? God in the flesh gave his own blood as a sacrifice. He is sufficient. 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I hope when you come to scripture you realize like, I kind of read over scripture, and I'm like, oh, blood, blood, blood. Like, we come across, and it just almost becomes like, oh, yeah, just something we don't think about. But I want you to think about the sacrifice that he made and how important that was. So what happens? Jesus purifies our conscience from dead works. And why does he do that? To serve the living God. So I would ask you, are you serving the living God? Have you realized and understood that Jesus is sufficient? So through the eternal spirit, he offered himself up. Without blemish, he is perfect. The only sacrifice that could pay our sin debt. When we look at the old sacrifice, how much more, right? How much more Jesus is sufficient? How much more? Because Jesus gave his blood So, looking back, we see that uh, 
the glories of the old tabernacle point to the greater glory, right? It was the sanctuary, how beautiful the sanctuary is. The symbols, everything that was in the sanctuary. Uh, The sacrifices, the things and the rituals they had to do all point to the greater glory. All point to Jesus being the greater glory, the new covenant. He is the more perfect sanctuary. He is the more perfect, what, sacrifice. And he is sufficient. So what is our next step today? Our next step, surrender to the greater glory. Surrender to the greater glory. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, first, that means you need to understand who Jesus is. You need to understand that we're born into sin. That because of the fall, because of disobedience in the garden, what, each and every one of us are born enemies of God. And there's only one way. You know, we keep saying that. And that is the gospel, is to surrender our lives to Jesus. He paid the price with his blood. So if you're here today and you do not have a relationship, I urge you. I would love to talk to you. I would love to pray with you about that. And if you're here today and you do have a relationship, you need to um, live a life that, uh, where you are serving God, just like it says. So just like the tabernacle needs a high priest and a sacrifice, uh, the Israelites need a high priest and a sacrifice. We need Jesus to atone for our sins. Jesus is the great high priest. If there's one thing as we go through Hebrews that you guys should always t- take away. So what's Hebrews about? Jesus is the great high priest. Oh, okay. Like that is what you should hang on to and that's what you should realize. He is the only perfect sacrifice who died to atone for our sins. This is the picture of the old tabernacle. Now, remember when I talked about the picture, when I said, okay, so when I got married, Desiree's here. But the picture I had is here, right? So am I going to focus on the picture or am I going to realize that she is here, right? Same way we need to stop focusing on the picture. So what does that look like to bridge that to us today? And I would say that maybe a lot of us, when you look at these rituals and what goes on and what they did, like we can't relate to like sacrifices and stuff like that. But what we can relate to is if you have grown up and you think that just because granddad was a deacon at a church that I'm a Christian, like that doesn't cut it. Like rituals and traditions and stuff that you look at, like, doesn't make you a Christ follower. And I would even say that that's like a picture of a Christian. Like, this is what a Christian should be, right? But I want to say, turn away from that picture and focus on the real person of Jesus. Surrender to him. You know, we live in a, in a country where being a Christian is like, well, I go to church on Sunday, so I'm good. I'm a Christian. But I would push into that and say, listen, Do you have a real relationship? Don't look at the picture. Do you have a real relationship with Christ? Have you surrendered to him? Is he your Lord? Is he like over your life and what you were doing? And I would ask you to just look inside and like think, okay, where am I at with that? Because I love to to talk to you about that. What's great about that is if we go into when we surrender our lives to Christ, what happens? Then we get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then dwells within us. And we should always remember how important that is. So what does that look like when it comes to the temple? That means we become the temple. So 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Like, if you are a Christ follower and you have surrendered your life, do you understand, like, think about the importance and all the worth and how valuable the temple was. Think about that. Now think about Jesus as a temple, how glorious and wonderful and perfect he is. Now scripture is saying what? We are the temple. So that means that we have, you know, responsibility to what? To proclaim Christ. That we should be salt and light. The people should be seeing Christ in us. We are the temple. And I think a lot of times we forget that. And the weight of that. So, serve the living God. Remember, it's not about traditions. It's not about our heritage, how we grew up. But take a real look at your relationship with Jesus. And what does it look like? Are you surrendered? Embrace 
the person of Jesus. Remember, the Hebrews were looking over here, and he's right here. Embrace Jesus. Surrender to the greater glory. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just thankful. Uh, It is such an honor and a blessing to be able to go through this text today. Father, to see the great detail, to see how important and what a structure you put together with the temple and and with the tabernacle, Father, and every detail that went into it. Father, as we look at that, we want to just take away the importance of that and to understand that the purpose was to point to your son. And Father, because of that, we get the picture that because of what Jesus did, the veil was torn from top to bottom, that we now have access to you. And Father, I pray if there's any person here who has not surrendered and who does not know what it means to have that uh, relationship, Father, I pray that you would work in their hearts today and that they would, you would draw them close to you and they would make that step. So, Father, I'm just so thankful for this time together. Just praise you for the time that we get to come together as a community, to worship together, to learn from your word together, to grow together. And what an honor and a privilege that is, Father. And we just want to glorify you through all of it. So we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.